Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at Bet Online. The sports world is making its way all the way back with the NBA coming back. We got the NFL, college football planning on coming together. We're in August now. We've got baseball, we've got soccer, we've got UFC, we've got NASCAR, we've got basketball back. Most of the sports world is back, albeit in a far different fashion than we're used to but not everything has to be different if you want to sense the normalcy go to betonline.com and you can go back to making some money on sports with the way everything is going if you're a royals fan or an orioles fan this is the time where you might actually be able to bet on your team and actually win some money if you want to lay a line down on hans or alberto actually winning the mvp right now that's about as likely as anybody else miguel rojas before being the guy to try to bring down baseball looked like he was going to be on the road to the mvp so go to betonline.com if you want some different lines if you're just looking for best odds, best lines, best prop bets, go to bet online. But if you're looking for other things as well, you want something a little bit different, they've got simulated football games, simulated NBA, and simulated UFC events happening live every day that you can take a little bet on that if you're a degenerate gambler. Go to betonline.ag on your computer or your mobile device. Join now and receive your welcome bonus. Betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. Well, Doc, um, today's episode is... A little bit more guarded, I'll say, than last week's episode. Uh, had a lot of stuff happening um, pretty much everywhere as the Marlins have single-handedly tried to ruin the season. And then the Cardinals, in true Lee Corso fashion, have said, Not so fast, my friends! As um, they've decided that, hey, I understand this is two months long and you're telling me don't go and hang out with people, but what if I go hang out with people? You know, when I am participating in a, in a nationwide pandemic, the first thing that I want to do is go to a casino. So uh, I certainly sympathize with the Cardinals there. So, uh, you know, perhaps they should have just gone to betonline.ag. 
I mean, you'd figure that you'd figure they they have all these online betting services. Obviously, they're not listening to TPS. I can't blame them. The card nobody likes the Cardinals other than St. Louis fans, and who really likes St. Louis fans? But um, yeah, Cardinals getting getting a big case of COVID because they couldn't stay out of the casino. Marlins couldn't stay out of the Atlanta Strip Club for the one or two exhibition games they were in Atlanta, and now they've got twenty something people that have it. This really is the dumbest thing. Like this, this highlights something that I say all the time, and that is athletes, general athletes, are idiots. They're selfish idiots. They're morons. Individually, they can be smart. I'm not saying that all athletes are stupid. I'm saying athletes as a whole, broad spectrum, complete idiots um, that you should not trust to manage anything with any sort of real responsibility or decorum. Um, you guys know I am certainly not somebody who's going to take the owner's side over the players obviously you guys know that i tend to stick with the players except in cases like this where they really deserve to be called out players are the ones that said they didn't want a bubble players are the ones who who okayed the safety protocols and now you have entire teams that are just not following the safety protocols at all and if i'm a team if i'm a player on a team that is really trying as hard as i can to make sure that i'm taking all of the extra steps, whether it's hand hand sanitizer or masks or or avoiding contact or whatever. If I'm somebody that's being really diligent about this stuff and then you hear about not one but two different teams that are doing this and it's two different divisions, so like the ripple is humongous, then I'm going to be just furious. You know what I mean? Especially like from the Braves' perspective, like, our team leader just had it, you know, and even even if his tale of it was somewhat sensationalized, which I'm not saying that it is, I'm just saying even if it was, like, all of these, you, the importance is there. Everybody knows that you're supposed to do all of these different things and what is hanging in the balance in all of these different sports. Like, they're talking about bringing back contact sports and baseball, which is, yeah, it's a team sport, but it's a very individualized thing, like... It shouldn't work that way. The level of personal accountability is just, I don't know. It's been great watching the past eight games, and I'm enjoying every single pitch because I'm trying to be realistic. It's only a matter of time before this affects the Braves somehow. And not and not just Flowers and Darno feeling like they have it and Freddie having it. I mean, like, schedule changes. You know, this there's a lot going on. This could topple real quickly, but the Braves look good. They, they look a lot better now than they did this time last week. By the way, we'd be remiss if we didn't say happy birthday to an OG fan of ours, Anthony Williams, who has been with the show since those extra-long four-hour episodes at the very beginning <laughs> before Doc knew how to edit and uh, everything was kind of on me and Doc was almost like a four-hour-long guest every day. We've come a long way, Anthony. Glad you stuck with us through the, through the entire ride. And speaking of absolute entire rides and absurd rides at that, how about what's been going on with the Braves starting rotation? Uh, we're going to talk about Soroka and Freed. Don't worry. Obviously, we're not going to get through a show right after a Freed start without at least one of us gushing about Max Freed. But I hate to do this to you, Doc, because I know you don't want to do this, and I know you're holding out hope, but we got to talk about Mike fulton man. Yeah, I know. I know. Can I, can I tell a quick story, Dylan? Can I divert and tell a real quick story as it pertains to Mike You have the floor. Okay. Do it. So... As Dylan just alluded to, there was a point where he did, like, everything. All of the editing and, and every every little bit. And last August, he and Sarah were going to uh, going to the beach. So Dylan uh, came over to my house and showed me how to edit. And this is right after Fulty had come back from AAA. And he was seen wearing his Don't Be a Little B bracelet. And the radio station that Dylan works at... Uh, 
had a bunch of them printed up. So when Dylan came over to edit, he brought me a Don't Be a Little Bee bracelet. And from that second until the end of... Uh, at the end of game five, I wore that bracelet for every single one of Fulty's starts. And it was like a solidarity thing. You know, I I love that guy. Just, and so excited for him this year and really disappointed with everything that has gone on. But so Monday, when I'm getting ready to do game coverage, I'm looking around for it. I cannot find it. I can't find my bracelet anywhere. You know what I mean? Which seems like a really <laughs> weird thing for a 38-year-old man to, to get kind of freaked out about. But I couldn't find it, and I just gave up. I'm like, it's not in my car. It's not my desk. Who cares? Whatever. And then he went out and got positively annihilated by the Rays, and I'm blaming myself because I couldn't find my freaking bracelet. But, uh, yeah, I, I just... What else is there to say? I mean, his velo, when he first came over to the Braves, he was touching like 98, 99. He was, he was still touching triple digits, like in that start against the Nationals a couple years ago, where he just mowed them down. And his fall from grace last year was pretty well documented. It was injury-related, because he was dealing with bone spurs in the elbow. And now he shows up and he looks... We'll just say thin. I, I don't want to speculate yeah, on anything. Yeah, well, we're just, not... That's- one thing we're not going to do is we're not going to speculate on anything as far as like like I've seen people say that he's you know going down the Tommy Hansen road and that's not that's there's no there's no actual evidence aside from like him being thin that you could point to to support that and that's not something that I feel we should do on this show. Um, I'm willing to talk about his performance all day long. I'm willing to talk about some of the other issues as far as being thin, but I'm not going to speculate on substance abuse. No, same same thing. I mean, that's that is a lot to do to a person. And and regardless of what it is, I mean, it's it's clear that he's down some weight. And, you know, when you're 15 pounds down, I mean, it's natural that you're going to lose some velocity. You don't have that same level of oomph. And, you know, Fulty has you know, we've heard stories about Fulty like running out of steam during games because he forgets to eat before them. Not to drive home a very basic point, but nutrition is kind of important, you know what I mean? So, I, I don't know. Like, obviously, there's there's some type of connection between uh, his physical stature right now and the fact that he was averaging 89 with his fastball. He got DFA'd after that start, and, you know, there was a really common thought that pitching's down across the league, and you're going to see somebody pick him up. And maybe in a year where you have fans and there's some revenue generation going on, you don't you feel better about taking on $2 million, but... They, they don't have those revenue streams right now. So it didn't really surprise me that nobody took a chance on him because other teams can see the, the Velo readings too. But he, he got outrighted. He's still with the organization. So I just got my fingers crossed. I don't care about the baseball version of Mike Fultonavich right now because I've cared about him like as an actual dude for a long time. And, and I just want him to get better and, and get back on track and return to success. Whether it's here or elsewhere, you know, who knows whether or not his days with the organization are actually numbered. It's not a good situation with him. It's uh, like this is just one of the things that I've gathered from. I remember, and I don't know if I if I just dreamed this because I can't find the piece. I seem to remember, and it might have even been a Talking Chop article years ago when Fulty came over from Houston, and they were doing the interview basically to get to know you. And Fulty had said something like, "Like baseball was never really his his main squeeze. Like he, you know, like." he wasn't all about it or something like that. That's just the vibe that he, that he gave off was, you know, that baseball, he just happened to be good at it, that it wasn't something that like I, that he wanted to do no matter what. When you look at things like, cause Alex mentioned on 680 that working with him and, and getting his weight up is something they, that they continuously have to go through every off season. 
you just don't have the time in this 60-game season to work with him at the big league level to get some weight on. So it, it looks more to be to me, it looks more like motivation than it does anything else. And, and you can talk about Fulte and his contentious relationship with fans. There's not another player on the Braves right now, aside from Nick Markakis, that splits the fandom down the middle. You're like the people that are for Fulte are gung ho Fulte, and the people that are against him are gung ho against him. Uh, but would it, you just get some weird looks with him, like like as far as his wife um, going on on a rant talking about. Uh, trying to imply that the Braves didn't do a good enough job allowing Fulty access to the weight room, as if this is a guy that isn't a multimillionaire, and as if the guys that he was practicing with weren't getting shredded. Like, he was working out with Acuna and Albies, and they are both noticeably huge compared to last season. Mike Fultonevich has been around for, what, five, six years? You're telling me that guy hasn't been able to buy some free weights? Like It's, it's little things like that, and, and obviously it's not... It's his prerogative whether he, you know, whether it's his favorite thing to do or not. I'm not saying that it has to be. I am saying that if you want to be successful at the big league level, it kind of has to be. The list of guys who, who baseball wasn't their number one priority and who were still elite players, that's a very, very short list. Um, that, to me, that's as far as I'll go personal wise, as far as trying to speculate on a personal reason for Fulty's decline. I do think that that's more than likely the main reason. I think it's more. Just baseball's not as fun to him at the big league levels as it was before. Um, because stuff-wise, before the throwing 88 miles an hour, stuff was fantastic. It was al- It's always been mental. It's always been between the ears with Fulty. So hopefully he figures something out. Hopefully it's like last year where he's able to light a fire because looking at the rest of the rotation, aside from Soroka and Freed, who have both been absolutely masterful and have really taken – big steps forward or showing exactly what we've wanted to see. The rest of this Braves rotation has been absolutely horrendous, and there's no other way to say it. I actually really liked Kyle Wright's stuff when he started uh, against the Rays, at least for the first couple innings. And I honestly, I thought Newcomb for the first couple innings against the Mets looked really good for, I guess it was the first three innings, maybe the first four innings, before he had that 10-pitch at bat against Nemo. Uh, that was in into the fourth inning for Sean Newcomb. Second... Second time through the lineup. Up until then, Newcomb had looked really good for a little bit. And then Chassin came in and it was just like, okay, well, we're just going to kind of punt here. They won the game, which is a miracle, but things were not looking good there. So you look at Soroka and you look at Freed and, man, you saw what the Rays did to the Braves pitchers. Even with the bad defense, they put up 19 runs in two games and then Soroka and Freed show up and it looks like they're just getting completely shut down. I mean... I can think of three really elite pitching performances since the Braves got good again. June 2018, Mike Fultonavich goes complete game shutout against the Nationals and struck out like 13. Sean Newcomb coming within like one pitch of a no-hitter against the Dodgers like six weeks after that. And Thursday night against the Rays. Max Freed looked better than I have ever seen him. Even the the game where he went, he was perfect for six, six innings against the Cubs at the beginning of last year. That, and his his outing against the Twins last year. That, I mean, I'm picking up on a trend here, man. That's what I that's what I've been telling everybody. Me and you have been on this kick since our first show, literally since our second episode actually when we had Jeff on and we talked about this. And Doc, I'm sure you remember and I'm sure all of you listeners remember like my 2-month long rant about Max Fried being a starter and shouldn't be in the bullpen. Well, let's just say that I'm I'm crowing a little bit about that because I think we can finally put to to rest any idea that, oh, maybe Max should go to the bullpen. Um, 
I have been saying for the longest time, and Doc, you have been too, just not as boisterously because you're more of an adult than me. Uh, Thank you. That Max, that, <laughs> that Max, that Max is the guy who, if if I'm picking anybody that the Braves have on the roster, big league through DSL and GCL to be an actual ace, like not the number one on your rotation, like an actual ace, like in the conversation with DeGrom and Scherzer and all of them, it's going to be Max Fried. There's just the Braves have not had a guy that has had the type of stuff that Max has had. I don't know when the last time the Braves had a guy with this type of stuff. As I was going to say since the big three. Maybe you could say that Smoltz had stuff like, like that, but not the same amount of pitches that had this amount of stuff. That's the crazy thing with Max. And what Max had working against the Rays, he had that slider working beautifully. And it's so incredible that he did not start throwing a slider until last year. I mean, that is, that's insane. To just pick up a pitch, and it's already elite. It's the same as Mike Soroka, who didn't really throw a slider either until his second year in the bigs, and it instantly came out of the gates elite. Like that's, I don't know that people really give them enough credit for how ridiculously hard that is to do. He just continues to evolve so much. And like Soroka, Soroka is already great. That's what I was going to say. I think Sor- like the difference between the two... Soroka is better right now. He's definitely more consistent, and that consistency is what makes Soroka great. It's not that he's got the best stuff, because he doesn't. He's got good stuff, but he doesn't have the best stuff. It's not that he's got the premium velocity, because he's got good velocity, but it's not premium velocity. He's got some strikeout potential, but not elite strikeout potential. What the difference is, is Soroka, every single start, it seems, he is dialed in the exact same way. You get, he's very Tim Hudson-like. I guess would be a, a good way to say it. That like, you get what you get. He works the ball down, and even when he doesn't have his A plus stuff, like when Soroka was facing the Rays, that was probably about his B B minus game. That wasn't his top notch stuff. He had three walks and only five Ks. But when Soroka is is even got his quote unquote lesser game, he still keeps runs off the board because he bears down and because he doesn't get flustered and he pitches so well. He knows how to to mix up his pitches. He knows how to how to sequence beautifully which is something that a lot of young guys struggle with. And that's been the thing with Max is he's getting better and better. He's learning how to sequence properly. That and the catchers are finally figuring out that you have to call Max backwards. Max is not a guy that you want to be heavy fastball. He's not a guy that you want to be working low in the zone all the time because with Max, the way his stuff moves, his curveball needs to be thrown up in the zone enough times because it'll drop super late, and it drops in for a strike, and that helps his fastball. And now that we've seen Max throwing that changeup a little bit, his fastball's looking a little bit better, because if there was one area of weakness for Max, it was his fastball. He was completely backwards pitcher. His fastball was his worst pitch. Now that he's got the changeup going, if he can continue, if he can do with his changeup what he did with his slider, Max Fried is going to be a four-pitch guy, and every pitch is going to play plus. That's, that's the type of guy you're talking about. And for those two guys... I, and you, you give, you tell me that I'm looking two years, three years down the line here. I will take the one and two of Freed and Soroka, or Soroka and Freed, however you want to play it, and I'll stack that up against any team in Major League Baseball. Most prospects are. It's very clear what their what their limitations are, and it's very very rare you get an Acuna type, or that you get a even even a Soroka type where you just look at him and say, you know, you you're you have flaws, but 
they're pretty inconsequential because of how good you are the rest of the time. And even even when you look at guys like Christian Pache and and Drew Water, like you can you can look at guys like that and say they have a chance to be really really good, but the range of outcomes is still really good. And I'm looking at Max Fried, and I'm just thinking. This might be the first time, and he's not a prospect anymore, but this might be the, the first time that I'm looking at a player going, I have no idea what your ceiling is. Because, right. like, I just even the, even the evolution from last year is tremendous. Yeah. Everything he tries to throw is beautiful in his elite spin rates. Like, it's just, it's just something about him. His command has, get, has gotten so much better, and that, I think that's been the real key for Max. His command took a little bit to come back after after the bad luck of injuries, the Tommy John in 2015, the blisters in 2016, along with the back injury, floating between the bullpen and the rotation. He's really solidified his command. Not his control, his command, which is the difference. I've said this before, but for any new listeners, if you're ever wondering the difference between command and control and why you'll hear some announcers say command and some guys say control. The difference is control is not walking people. Control is the ability to throw strikes. Command is to put that strike where where you want it. That's so like when we talk about Nukem, which we're about to talk about, the biggest key difference between Nukem and guys like Soroka and Freed is not stuff. It's command. And when we're talking about Nukem, who first time through the order last night did look good, uh, looked much better than his first start, which even though the Braves won the, his first start and he didn't give up a lot of runs, he did not pitch well. He pitched very badly. Uh, last night, for the first time through the order, he pitched good. He pitched well. He was using his cur- he was using his curveball effectively. He was using his changeup effectively. He even had a, a little bit. It was almost like a a riding fastball, almost like a little like a little cutter. Uh, I don't know if it was intentional or if it just happened to be the way his arm was working, but he was working 94. He, he pumped the mid at 95, 96 a couple times. But that's I put out a tweet yesterday, and it's something that I have to live by too because Lord knows that I'm awful about remembering this. Wait until the second time through the order before you start praising a starting pitcher because that second time through, that's when it's no longer about your stuff and it's about how you're pitching that day. It's about how you can command your pitches. And for Newcomb, just like it was for Kyle Wright, just like it was for Bryce Wilson all of last year, just like it was for Fulte, just like it was for Tukey all of last season, the second time through the order is what's getting these young guys. And that's that right there, the bats are going to wake up for the Braves. Acuna's starting to take much better hacks. Ozzy's looking better swing-wise. It's only a matter of time before they stop missing 92 and 93 and start parking them like they were a year ago. We got Dansby and Ozuna who are torching it. Freddie's starting to, to come alive a little bit. Darno came in yesterday and gave a double middle finger to his former club and went off for five ribbies. Matt Adams is killing the ball. The offense will come around. But you gotta get something from three to five. You can you can survive with one starter not being up to snuff, with one spot in your rotation being weak. You can pitch around that, especially with thirty man rosters and thirteen player bullpens and stuff like that. You can get around that. What you can't get around is three spots in your rotation only being able to go through an order one time. I am really intrigued to see Wright pitch again. The Rays kind of aren't fair. You know, it, it takes I'll agree with that. It, it takes a Soroka or it takes a Freed to really get in and shut that offense down the way that they did. And and right, you know, he's his struggles have been well documented, but his stuff it 
it is biting different. It seems different this year. So I want to see what happens now that he was able to get through that and not get sent down. You know, because that was the biggest thing with him. It was always like, we have this much room in our rotation. We need you to come up and just spot start. And no matter what happens, we're going to send you back down. And it just so happens that most of the times that he would get starts, then he would get kind of knocked around a little bit. So he never had the chance that that Soroka would have been given based on the time when he uh, when he came up or or like Nukem got or like Fulty got because the teams the team sucked back then you know Fulty debuted with this team in 2015 there was a lot of time for him to just kind of figure it out and eventually because he was allowed to suck and not lose his job he was eventually an all-star and you know Nukem has been given plenty of rope too so it's it's good to see that they're not going to abandon right they're going to let him go back out there and figure it out Rays are a tough team. Mets, Mets can still hit, but I, I'm I do want to give him another couple of outings. I think out of out of any of the options, Wright is the at least for right now. The guys are with the organization. Uh, I think Wright is going to be the best option to step in and be that third guy. I'm going to disagree with you. Um, I'm going to say it's Tucker, just because I I am that big of a Tucker Davidson fan, and I think Tucker did Tucker came a very long way in the last year and a half as far as his own command, uh, where he kind of struggled with some walks at the higher levels last year. But that, that to me, I think that's a conversation we need to have as well about why it is that all these pitching prospects that the Braves have dominate low A, high A, double A, and they just get better and better and better and better. Then they hit triple A, and all of a sudden, they're totally different profiles. All of a sudden, they're not getting the high Ks. All of a sudden, they're not getting the swing and miss. All of a sudden, their walk rates jump and their home run rates skyrocket. And you can obviously, some of it can be that you're facing some better competition, but that doesn't explain it being every single pitcher. Like Bryce Wilson. Bryce Wilson, if you look at Bryce Wilson's double A numbers, they were absolutely spectacular. I mean, they were, they were enough to where he was rising up faster than everybody else. And then he got to triple A. And it completely changed for him on a dime. The same thing with Tukey. Same thing with Kyle Muller. Same thing with Ian Anderson. Now, Ian, he only got like five starts at AAA, so we kind of have to see what happens. But Kyle Wright, another one the same way. The higher and higher they're getting in the organization, I don't know if it's just different pitching coaches and their different philosophies, but I think it's we're getting to that point where you almost have to start looking at these guys, and you know they've got the talent to do what they did in AA, where you're facing better competition than you are in AAA. Just for whatever reason, there's this disconnect, and it shouldn't be that way because umpires are better the higher you get. So they should be actually more efficient the higher and higher they're getting in the in the minor leagues. Sure, the K rates will drop a little bit, but there's a difference between your K rate dropping from 11 per nine to nine per nine, and your K rate dropping from 11 per nine to seven and a half. Like that's that's an unacceptable drop to me. I kind of wonder, too, if there's a little bit of a, a mental aspect here, just in terms of, you know, when you're pitching in low A, you know, you're used to pitching in front of, like, 700 people. And and in high A, you're still so far away from it, you can just go out there and just pitch. You know, you can just basically go on autopilot. And then you start pitching in front of more and more people, which there's a big jump from, you know, you go to a Gwinnett game and there's 2,000 people there and you go to a a big Braves game and there's like 40,000 people there. Not to mention, once you get to the actual show, I mean, that's the dream, right? Is just, you're chasing your dream. And, you know, the closer you get, some people start to clam up a little bit. And sometimes the lights just get too bright and you forget that you know how to throw 96 and you you forget to trust your stuff. I mean, that's... That's one of the key things here, but I do agree. I want to get back to Kyle Wright for a second because you're you're absolutely correct. His stuff, 
His stuff has never been a question. But this kind of goes back to when the Braves drafted Kyle Wright. This was the the question for Kyle Wright coming out of Vanderbilt. He wasn't your typical college senior where most of the time when you take a college senior, they're essentially plug-and-play type of guys. You should be able to plug them in to a, uh, to a AAA rotation or even a major league rotation and get some semblance of at least a decent floor. That's not the case with Kyle Wright. Wright has always had command issues. That's why there were always questions about will he remain a starter or will he be in the bullpen? That's one of those things that his first start, it looked so promising. And you're right, the Rays are really, really good, and they're they're the best coach team in baseball, and they're, they're really, really good at what they do. But that first time through the order, Wright looked like he was a soup. Like he, was, he looked basically like you Darvish, a guy that could strike out 12 per nine. And then you get to the second time through the order, and it was immediately as soon as you got, as soon as they got back to the top of the order, he, he had no answers for him. And it's, it comes with sequencing, which can come with time, but it also comes with you have to have more than one plan of attack. And for Kyle Wright, this is why I think, that's why I'm feeling more confident about Kyle Wright than I am a lot of the other young guys who have struggled in the same situation, is with Kyle, it does look to be more sequencing related than just command related. Because he was still putting some pitches in good spots. It was just, he, it's like he didn't have another plan of attack after he was so heavy with the slider. So he had to be a little bit heavier with the fastball the second time through the order. He doesn't really have the confidence in that changeup to work that changeup enough to make that fastball heavier than it is. And it's, it's a good fastball, but major league hitters have told you a million times, if you throw enough fastballs, they're going to time it. That's to me, that's the difference between Kyle Wright and a guy like Newcomb and, and a guy like Bryce and even a guy like Tukey, because neither of those three have shown the command to be at the point where I'd be comfortable watching them two and three times through the order. Wright can have the command going. It's, it's more about getting the confidence in the other pitches, and that's something that he's just going to have to get reps at the big league level to figure out how he needs to sequence. I mean, we can talk day and night about how he just needs to pitch backwards in the next time through the order, but really you don't learn your sequencing until you do it against big league hitters. This is going to be a big night tonight for Tuki Toussaint because Tuki generally pitches really well against the Mets anyway, uh, but this is, this is a chance for Tuki to – Another chance for him, I'll say, to, to stake a claim on the rotation spot. The Braves want him to be a starter. They want him to, to grab hold of one of these spots, just like they do with Newcomb. But Tukey also has that added benefit of he's been in the bullpen, and he actually profiles very well as a fastball curveball guy. If Tukey's going to be successful, he's got to have command of his fastball, which is 50-50 proposition with him. But tonight, we'll get to see Tukey go out there and at least try to put something together and it's big because the Braves are going to need him to do it the Braves need another one of these starters to go you know five innings not not three and a third not four innings you need you need one of these three four five guys to get you five six innings hopefully Tukey can do that tonight yeah and I'm I'm really curious because I thought even independent of results I thought that his stuff like the actual stuff looked really good one last one last thing about right is that there was a clear shift in the amount of usage on his fastball from uh, from all previous years, like something about that start, he was leaning on the slider a whole lot more. So I mean, maybe because it's, it's his best pitch. Well, it's sure. his best pitch. Well, sure, and and I think that getting away from that traditional mindset of you know most you were just having to point out that Max Fried pitches backwards, right? Because his fastball is his worst pitch. So it's got to be weird to to 
to have the talent and have the ability to make it to big leagues. And then it's like, yeah, we're going to rework everything about the way that you pitch right now. You know, it, it's got something that just it's got to take a little while to get used to. But before we go any farther, just wanted to remind you, we are brought to you by betonline.ag. Uh, Colin Moran and Teoscar Hernandez are currently leading the league in homers. If I had gone to betonline.ag before the season and uh, put some money on that, I would be a very much rich man right now. Uh, we are also brought to you by Simply Safe. Uh, your home is your resting place, your living quarters, your domicile, your domain, your dojo even. And it's whatever you call it, it's where you keep all your precious items, your family, your pets, your stuff. And as the master or masters of your domain, you need a home security solution that will positively drench your home in safety. And for that, you want, no, you need Simply Safe. It is a comprehensive home security solution that provides a wide array of sensors in and around your home to keep out the most nefarious of prowlers. The best news is you can install it yourself, which cuts down on the cost. Uh, besides, we're all germ conscious these days, and keeping a technician or a burglar out of the, out of your house is just one less person for you to have to interact with. SimplySafe.com backslash team. Go to SimplySafe.com slash team for free shipping and get a 60-day money-back guarantee. Tell them the Platinum Sombrero sent you. I don't know, maybe you want somebody to break in your house because you hate all your stuff or your family or you don't trust your pets as proper reinforcement, but if you want the peace of mind you have earned, you can get it with Simply Safe. So this is a this is a huge series that we are in right now against the Mets, man. It, that victory last night, that huge come from behind victory. We can point fingers about why they were down eight to two all day long, but it's just nice to see that the team is still, no matter who's wearing the laundry, who's wearing the uniform. There's always that never say die attitude, which is awesome to see. Not to mention, if you are able to demoralize the Mets while coming back and having a victory like that, that's huge. And and anytime you get to shove a dagger in the heart of the New York Mets, it's fine with me. Next week we'll uh, start getting into some interleague play. We'll play the Toronto Blue Jays, and we'll also maybe get to play the Phillies. Uh, they had to cancel some activity at Citizens Bank Park, so. Uh, schedule could be affected there, or maybe they'll wind up coming to Atlanta and extending the back half of that homestand. But Dylan, I've noticed something about uh, about Brian Snitker over the past couple weeks, and I know that you have a very complicated relationship with Brian Snitker, <laughs> so, so I wanted to uh, get get your thoughts on this. One thing that we've talked a lot about, I mean, last year, we, we beat Snit up pretty bad last year about... Deservedly so. Deservedly so. He... You know, I I like him more than you do, but there is, it it was pretty obvious at the end of last year that everybody was just so very burnt out because everybody was playing every day, and we were curious about this season to see with now with the DH and having a much more complete roster, and you've got a bunch of guys that can play multiple positions. Would he actually lean on that? And so far, he really has. Like Freddie and Adams have both been playing first and DHing. Ozuna has uh, has played left and DHed. Riley has played third and left. Camargo's getting some at bats. Adam Duvall's getting a chance to play. A Danny Hechevarria started last night. I mean, this is inspiring to see. Almost, it's like he he's heard all of the concerns. I mean, I'm sure that there was a come to Jesus meeting with Anthopoulos, but I mean. This is good. This is this is really good because I don't think until Snit wants to retire, I don't think they're going to get rid of him. So if he's going to stick around, it's nice to see that there's going to be this type of initiative. Hopefully, this will carry forward into a 162-game season. But what are your thoughts so far? Well, I mean, before last night, I was... We, quietly, no, really, we don't have to talk about last night. Last night was bad. We're going, we're going to because it's it's part of the what you what you so eloquently put it as my uh, complicated relationship with Brian Snicker. I truly don't think you'll find a better manager as far as 
managing a clubhouse, as far as getting people to play for him and believe in him and want to run through walls and all the cliched stuff. With Brian Snicker, it's true. He's a guy that's been in the game forever. He's been with the same organization forever. He's seen a lot of these guys when they were in the minors before they ever got to be big leaguers. There's there's a real relationship. I mean, Travis Darno has known Snicker, has played for Snicker for all of one game and about, you know, a month and a half. And even he was talking about it last night about how you just want to succeed for Brian. And that's very true. That's never been the issue with Snicker. The issue has been the actual nuts and bolts of managing a game. And you're right. The I don't know if you've seen the lineup for today, but the lineup was posted and Freddie DHing again today. So I'm very happy to see him doing that. Now, the lineup was essentially snit proof. So we're going to see what happens now that Marcakis is back. I'm not feeling great about it. Uh, it's like setting a, it's like setting a, 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 an old fashioned in front of a really bad alcoholic and just saying, Hey, don't touch it, but I'm going to sit this right in front of your hand. I'm even going to turn it towards your drinking hand. Yeah. Whatever um, you do, don't drink this. Right. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes, but you're, but you're right. He's been doing a really good job. Camargo has been playing, uh, just about two out of every five. Riley's been playing about three out of every five. Uh, Ozzy got a day off yesterday, which was awesome to see. He came in and pinch hit later, but, uh, Ozuna has been in left field and DHing. Duvall has been brought in as a defensive replacement. That play that, that got, that he made the other night, that does not get made if Marcelo Ozuna or Nick Marcakis is in left field. So, I mean, we do need to compliment and, and praise Snicker for stuff like that. That is not stuff he would have done a year ago. That's definitely not stuff he would have done two years ago. So he is learning. Then you get into the instances where he just can't seem to help himself pitching-wise, where he just cannot seem to get that old-school thought out of his head. And he's starting to look at analytics offensively but he just can't bring himself to do it when it comes to the pitching. And I'm glad the Braves won the game last night. I'm glad the Mets decided to Mets harder than the Braves did. But there's no excuse for leaving Shasin in. I can make an excuse for you bringing him in because Shasin does have about a 42.5%, 43% ground ball rate. Granted, he's a long reliever. It's not necessarily a guy that you should bring in in high leverage situations. But I can at least get the thought process behind bringing in Shasin. You're hoping he could get a ground ball, get out of it there, and give you another couple innings. I give the bullpen a break in case Tukey and Wright don't perform very well. And you got to go to the bullpen well. But to leave him in after... You allowed Chassin to give up seven runs and walk in two more. Like, you cannot... You can't do that as a big league manager. This goes back to... I had a little... I had a tweet out there today... Uh, about the Rays, how a lot of people tend to be kind of shocked or surprised about how the Rays are always so good. They don't have any money. They don't have any fans. They don't have, really, if you look at their roster, they don't have anybody that's a quote-unquote star. Their best player, Charlie Morton, is a super under-the-radar guy. Their second-best player, Blake Snell, is kind of out there and and kind of a, a decent personality, but he's not anybody that you'd call like a, a superstar player. They don't have a guy like that. What they do have is the best front office in baseball and by far the best coach in baseball in Kevin Cash. That's the big difference. Cash can manage and win you games with his managing. Snicker Snicker has a bad tendency to put the Braves into situations where they then have to make a comeback. And it's good that the Braves believe in him so much that they're able to, to fulfill a lot of these comebacks. But you see it when you start playing really, really good teams 
you can't come back from being down six or seven runs. You're not going to come back against teams like the Yankees and the Astros and the Dodgers. You're not going to come back from six runs down on those guys. And, you know, part of part of the reason why the Braves were able to come back was Dellen Batances. Uh, he doesn't really appear to have his best stuff right now, and you know, and and that's not to, that's not to downplay the downplay the victory. I mean, you if you smell blood, then you have to attack. You know what I mean? And that's exactly right. what they did. That's a that's a Mets problem. I, I agree with you. I the fact that Chessin came in. I mean, they have thirty man rosters right now, and and everybody's still ramping up. And it was you know the fifth inning when this happened, so, or I guess maybe it was still the fourth inning when that happened. So you know you know that you, you're going to have to get a couple guys to to burn some innings and you know clearly it was pretty clear that Chessine did not have his best stuff which even Chessine having his best stuff these days you know he he's already been DFA'd and he wouldn't have made the when they scaled down this coming Thursday he he wouldn't have made it from the 30 man to the 28 man so um he was pretty much collateral damage and maybe maybe Snitker's thought process was you know what I'm willing to punt this particular game if it means I don't have to uh, fast track somebody and jeopardize injuring them. That see that to me seems like a very Snitker esque uh, line of thinking. And and all is well that ends well in the standings. Truthfully, you know, and the difference between five and three and four and four and tied with the with the Mets for second place while the Marlins are still somehow in first. You know, five and three sounds way better. And the good news is when the, when they continue to scale the roster down, then he's going to have less and less of these types of guys. By and large, the bullpens looked pretty good. Tyler Matzik's been a revelation. It's a great story, and he's been really, really good. Most of the bullpen has been pretty good. O'Day got roughed up once. Minter has had two really good outings and one really bad outing. Um, but, I mean, two out of three for Minter would be like 100 out of 100 for a normal guy, so that's good to see. And A.J. actually using his changeup. I've said a lot of things about A.J. Minter over the years. Uh, if he's able to discover at least a modicum of his early 2018 form or his 2017 form, then that's a good news for the Braves. Um, like I said, the issues are going to be what happens when Marcakis is back. Is Snick going to continue doing what he's doing now, or is he going to start? Is he going to sacrifice Camargo's at bats to get Marcakis in the lineup, which should not be doing? Because right now Camargo's swinging the bat really, really well. Um, I almost wonder. I think the ball's not juiced again because that ball that he got a hold of the other night that he watched a little bit the plate mm-hmm. last year that ball was gone. Uh, that that ball was gone by a fair bit. He got all of that one. But um, the stance change seems to have worked for Camargo. He's one of the few batters that's been consistently on time throughout the entire season. Uh, Riley's not hitting very well, but Riley's playing some great defense, and I'm glad that they're they're committed to getting Riley in the lineup. And in this season, I've said it before, there's no reason not to. The way I'm looking at this one is if you win this season, awesome. If you're not winning don't chase something that doesn't ultimately mean anything when this is a cheap way to get some really good experience for 2021, 2022. That's why I want to see these starters, if they're not doing well, like let's say Tukey goes out and lays an egg tonight. Bring in Ian Anderson, bring in Tucker Davidson, bring in Wasker Noah, bring in Patrick Weigel. Like, See what you've got in these guys right now. That way, when this season is over, you can clear out this herd a little bit, and you can kind of you can figure out which one of these guys might be ready to take that next step and help you win a World Series in 2021 or 2022. Let let's see these guys, and let's see let's let these guys really battle for this position. I mean, you can't you can't have 12 people for five spots forever. So. At some point, you do have to let these guys try to figure it out. And in a 60-game season, 
that seems to me to be the best time to do it. Agreed. And and sometimes it just takes the vote of confidence that you can you can get from like we talked about with Kyle Wright, knowing that you have the leeway to actually not perform your best and not lose your job. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully tonight's a, a different story for Wright and for Tukey. I'd love to see Bryce Wilson get a shot just to see if there's been anything different, even though he was in the first round of cuts back in spring training. He, he's still got a spot somewhere on this team, but they, they can figure out at least a couple of things. Cause some of these guys, if they, if they DFA'd Fulty and Newcomb is kind of looking like, I don't think that they're going to DFA him or anything, but I think that they they have some type of decision to make with him, whether they they will continue to roll with him or whether they think that Tukey or Bryce or Tucker or whoever is going to be a better option than, than Nuke. Then they have to figure out how they're going to shuffle the bullpen and figure it out. So there's a, there's a lot that can be gleaned from this season. You know, whether the Braves make the playoffs or win the World Series, which is what I still got got my hopes set on. Whether anything like that happens this season, it can still be a very productive season. You can still see what happens when you plug Austin Riley in. I have been so impressed by his defense. The bat is underwhelming, but considering there's been been the initiative to to actually get Camargo in there, who he, he is starting a Thursday night, and Riley's got the night off. It's good to see. It's good to see that the, that the team appears to at least be in a, a moderately healthy spot right now. So let's just let's just keep our fingers crossed that, that when we get together to record later this week then we actually still have real live baseball to talk about. Yeah. Let's hope we come back and we've got excellent starts of Tuki Toussaint and Kyle Wright to talk about it, as well as a couple more dominating starts for, uh, for Soroka and Freed when we reconvene next week. But for now, we're at that 45-minute mark. We're going to go ahead and call it a, call it a day for today. Uh, thank you guys for being patient as we get this out on a Saturday instead of a uh, Friday as per usual. Had a little bit of personal stuff going on. Don't really feel like talking about it, but uh, thanks, guys, for sticking with it through it all. Uh, let's go, Braves. Let's see the Braves go out there and and not rely on the Mets metsing a game away. Let, let's see them actually go out there and continue the winning ways. Not the Braves are up over 500 for first time this season, ready to or second time this season. I forgot. They started out 2-1. Uh, let, let's go out there and beat up on the Mets a little bit more. And l- I'm looking for Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies to, to get off the schneid today. Let, let's let's see them put some good abs together. Acuna is going to hit his first home run on Sunday, and it is going to be an absolute tower. I'm calling it right now. I'm going to call that he hits it tonight. Well, you should go to betonline.ag. You should put some I money am. on that. I'm, I'm going to put about ten dollars on it, and I'm going to I'm going to see that he uh, that he goes deep, deep tonight. That he he rocks one of those four fifty footers tonight. Gets Tukey started off right. He's gonna he's gonna lead off the first inning with uh, with a bomb. That that's my call for tonight. Um, if that happens, you guys are never going to get rid of me. I'm going to be obnoxious forever. But uh, <laughs> as <laughs> as it is, I think that's a pretty good note to end on. Everybody out there, hope you guys enjoy the episode. We'll be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Mm-hmm.